go ahead and dive. Uh, we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into God's Word and see what His Word has to say to us today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for today and for your love. It's always your love and your mercy, and that we are so blessed, Lord, that you saved us. And Lord, you're transforming us every day of our lives, and we're so thankful for that. So Father, speak to our hearts today. Lord, I decrease that you would increase unto myself of myself. So Lord, fill me with yourself, that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So if you have your Bibles or Bible app, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're now in chapter 9. We're going to cover the whole chapter. And we're now in part 12 of our series, From the Heart. Say, From the Heart. And you guys know this, right? Before we even dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, which was all of chapter 8. And I gave you three points. You might remember the first point was the illustration. Say that. The illustration, that's in verses 1 through 5. And right there, Paul, what he does, he begins his appeal by pointing to the example set by the churches of, of Macedonia, which were Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And remember, the Macedonian churches gave sacrificially, sacrificially. They struggled greatly. They were not a wealthy church. They struggled greatly. Uh, they were going through some tough times, but they gave abundantly and sacrificially so that others might be helped. They also gave urgently, see, urgently. And they were excited and ready about giving and having the opportunity to give, and they were pleading with Paul, this is now for the privilege, the privilege of giving. And so they saw it, giving as a privilege to give. And the other uh, sub-point was uh, spiritually, say spiritually. And before they gave any money, they first gave their hearts to who? Say God. They were sanctifying their contributions to God's honor by first giving themselves to him, and then they gave their hearts to Paul and his associates. So that's the illustration, sacrificially, urgently, and spiritually. And the second point was the instructions. Say that. And that's in verses 6 through 15. And in light of the amazing examples of the Macedonian churches, Paul now what he does, he urges the Corinthian believers to respond. And he's using the earnestness of the Macedonian believers as a way of testing the earnestness of the Corinthian believers. And so they, the Corinthian believers, are to give knowingly. Say knowingly. And Paul's like, don't forget that grace giving, grace giving is related to the spiritual life. And don't forget to excel in that as well. They were also to give willingly, say willingly. It's all about having the right attitude, say right attitude when you give to God. Then realistically, say realistically, give according to your means. You are to give what you can. This is now in proportion, say proportion to what God has given to you. Give what's in your heart to give, right? Confidently, say that. When you give knowingly, when you give willingly, when you give realistically, you can give confidently, excuse me, confidently. We give trusting in God's daily provision for our lives. Good place to say amen. And the third point was the individuals, say that. The individuals, and that's verses 16 through 24, verses 16 through 24. And there are three individuals who were commissioned to handle uh, the, the finances. So then what, Paul, then what Paul does after that, he closes by saying, prove your love. And look at verse 24 of chapter 8. And he says, therefore, show these men the proof, say proof, of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. In other words, what Paul is saying to the Corinthian believers, put your money where your mouth is. Right? Just don't say you're going to give, but also give. This brings us to today's text. The title of my message today is, Cheerful giving, everyone say that. 
So this chapter, chapter 9, continues with the theme of giving. We talked about giving last week, and it continues this week in chapter 9. Two points from our text, if you're ready, say yes. Number one is this, the monetary gift. Write that down, say that. The monetary gift. And this is the monetary gift by the Corinthian believers. And so we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 right now. And Paul writes, there is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints. And so Paul is referring about the finance or financial support of the Jerusalem believers. And Paul's like, it's almost unnecessary for me to even ask you to do this because you already know to do it. You guys got that? Verse 2, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you, uh, you in Achaia, which is also part of Corinth, it's in the area of Corinth, were ready to give. And I want to stop there. In, in the previous chapter, Paul used the Macedonian believers as examples to encourage the Corinthian believers, right? And here what he does, he uses the Corinthian believers to encourage the Macedonian believers, and you see, the Corinthian believers had begun, an early, begun a year earlier to collect an offering for the church in Jerusalem. And Paul is simply motivating, say motivating, he's motivating them to finish what they promised. You, you made a commitment, Paul says, you made, it, you made a commitment a year ago, now it's time to follow through, and, and they do. Let, let's read on. And your enthusiasm, say that, has stirred most of them to action. I love that. Paul's recognizing the spiritual truth that generosity, you got to get this, that generosity is contagious. You guys got that? Generosity is contagious. Generous giving is enthusiastic and contagious. Can I get an amen? Here's the lesson. Are you ready for the lesson? We should watch who we associate with. We should watch who we associate with. Let's be honest. When we're around generous people, when we are, we tend to be more generous ourselves, don't we? Just as when we're around stingy, materialistic people, we can tend to become stingy and materialistic. But I also want to say that we should realize that we can impact others with our example of generosity. If you are a generous person and if you're a Christian, you should be. The Bible commands us to be generous. You should impact those around you as well to be generous. Amen? Verses 3 through 5, Paul says, But I am sending the brothers, this is Titus, and the other two brothers who were unnamed in the previous chapter. He says, In order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. Verse 4, For if the Macedonians come with me, which according to Acts 20 Verses 2 through 6, exactly what Paul did. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. In other words, Paul is saying, don't embarrass us. Don't embarrass us. We spoke highly of you, and Paul wanted to avoid embarrassment to himself and to the church if the offering was not ready. Verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready, say ready, as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. So Paul wanted the whole business of the collection completed before he arrived so that there would be nothing 
even slightly manipulative in his receiving the collection. Paul didn't want them to feel pressured to give. You guys got that? Didn't want them to feel pressured to give, but to give for the right reasons with the right attitude. Say attitude. That it would be a bountiful gift from a generous heart, not grudgingly, not grudgingly. Are you guys with me? Verse 6, remember this, he says, whoever sows sparingly will also what? Reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also what? Say it, reap generously. So Paul uses the analogy of a farmer, an agricultural metaphor, to illustrate a spiritual truth. This is one of God's law of harvest. You guys got that? One of God's law of harvest. It's pretty simple, right? If you look at this, it's pretty simple. To sow little is to reap little. To sow much is to what? Reap much. And we will reap, listen now, in proportion to what we sow. Very simple. Very simple. I want you to write this down. Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25. It says, one man gives freely, yet gains even more. Gives freely, right? Yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others, I love this, whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. I gave you this scripture last week, but it's such a wonderful scripture. Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, you guys got that? The measure you use, it will be measured to you. These are spiritual truths, right? Spiritual truths. Now, if you're safe, say amen. God leaves how much we plant up to us. He leaves that up to us. He knows what we can, right? What we can and should plant. Why? Because he's omniscient. He knows everything, right? But nonetheless, he leaves it up to us. Now, a word of caution here. The text and the verses that I just gave you are not passing this sowing and reaping principle off as a shrewd investment strategy on how to reap greater material blessings. In fact, if that's your mindset that I'm going to give to get back, you know, greater blessings, material blessings and financial blessings, if that's you, okay, if you have hopes of attaining greater material prosperity, then you will harvest only spiritual poverty. And I just need to make that clear. Listen, our motivation, someone say motivation, in giving should never be to get. It should never be to get. It should never be motivated by getting something back. God is not a stockbroker. Are you guys with me? Our giving should be motivated, listen now, motivated by love. We give because we love God. That's our motivation. And by the way, as you give, as you sow, it's not always reaping financial and material blessings. I, I said this last week, right? Many times the blessings are better than financial or material blessings, such as peace and joy in your life, spiritual blessings. How about this? Healing, emotional healing, physical healing, relational healing. Amen? So we don't give to get. We give because we love God. 
And how he blesses us is how he chooses to bless us. And we receive that blessing, whatever it might be, right? Verse 7. Now, now, before I even read this verse to you, what we have here in verse 7, in this verse, is the New Testament guide to giving. Okay, I'm going to say it again. It's the New Testament guide to giving. Verse 7, each man or woman. So it's an individual matter, right? Each man, individual matter or woman, should give what he or she has decided in what? In his heart or heart to give. The New Testament standard of giving is that of giving from your own free will. It's a private matter. And the decision is to be made in what? He says in your heart. It's a personal decision. You've thought it through. You've prayed about it. And then you consecrate your gift to God. Got it? Let's read on. Not reluctantly or grudgingly or under compulsion, in other words, under pressure, for God loves a what? Come on, say it. Say it like you're cheerful. A cheerful giver. Now, I want you to notice, and I want you to get this because Paul does not mention a percentage. He doesn't mention 10%. And you see, the tithe was mandatory in the Old Testament, but it's never commanded in the New Testament. Now, Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, write that down. Matthew 23, verse 23. There Jesus told the Pharisees who tithed but neglected the weightier matters of law. He, he says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So that's as close as you can come to a command to tithe in the New Testament. But it's important to note that, it's important to note that came before the death of Christ when the Jews were still under the old covenant. Are you guys with me? So while tithing, listen now, tithing, okay, the tithing laws of Moses are no longer an obligation on us. Tithing does seem to be a principle that we should, that we shouldn't, excuse me, shouldn't ignore. We're not commanded to give 10% in the New Testament. But it's a good principle to follow. So it's up to you. Are you guys with me? You see, the law was a percentage. you got to get this. The law was a percentage, right? The law was a percentage. In the New Testament is proportion. Percentage, law, New Testament, proportion. Let me summarize it this way. In the Old Testament, we have a command. In the New Testament, the command becomes a model. Got it? In the Old Testament, we had a flat 10%. And that was a standard the standard uh, tithe in the Old Testament. That was the Levitical tithe. But every three years, they were commanded to tithe from 25 to 30%. And that was the Levitical tithe, the festival tithe, and the tithe to the poor. But the standard percentage in the Old Testament was a flat 10%. So in the Old Testament, we had a flat 10%. In the New Testament, we have unlimited proportional giving. Got it? Follow me. What was a percentage now becomes a proportion. And by the way, let me say this. Proportional giving can be much more generous giving than just a tithe. So it's up to you in your heart as God moves in your heart. Can someone say amen? Now listen, we can give the wrong way or we can give the right way. And this verse tells us both ways. So I want you to follow me. First of all, notice the wrong way. He says not to give what reluctantly or grudgingly, right? Giving reluctantly and grudgingly is the wrong way. In other words, I really don't want to give. 
I have no desire to give. I don't want to give, but I guess I'll give, whatever. So question, how would you feel if someone gave you a birthday gift grudgingly or reluctantly? Think about that, friends. You know, I got you this gift, but I really don't want to give it to you. You know what? I really don't. But anyways, here you go. Whatever. Just here. Take your gift. I don't care. Right? How would you feel about that? Exactly. I don't want it. You know, keep it. Right? Friends, that's the wrong way to give. Now, if the giver gives reluctantly, if the giver gives grudgingly, God will bless the gift, but not the giver. Are you guys with me? Now, notice there's another way not to give under compulsion, he says. Under compulsion, we are not to give because someone has pressured us or made us give or manipulated us to give. You guys got that? And unfortunately, there's a lot of that in churches today where they make you feel guilty and they want you to give. They manipulate you and pressure you to give. Now, notice the right way to give willingly. Let's go back to the beginning of the verse. Each man, woman, should give what he or she has what? decided in his or her what? Heart to give. That's willingly. It's giving from your own free will. Your purpose in your heart, what to give. So that's the right way to give willingly, but there's also another way to give. It's cheerfully, right? The text says, for God loves a cheerful giver. Three kinds of giving, three kinds of giving, grudge giving, duty giving, and thanksgiving. Grudge giving says, I hate to give. I hate to give. Duty giving says I have to give. But thanksgiving says I want to give. It's a heart of love. I want to give. The first comes from constraint. The second comes from a sense of obligation. And the third from a full, willing, cheerful heart. By the way, in the Greek, the word cheerful is hilaros, which sounds almost like its English counterpart, hilarious, right? Hilarious could also be translated glad. So he loves a hilarious giver. When you give, are you hilarious? Huh? Are you glad? Let me ask you this. Are you a sad giver, a mad giver, or a glad giver? Do you give grudgingly or do you give reluctantly? Huh? Or do you give cheerfully? Question, have you ever, have you ever, ever met a glad, cheerful giver? I met plenty of glad, cheerful receivers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're very glad about receiving. God loves a what? Come on. Cheerful giver. Now, why does God love it when we, as his children, give cheerfully? Why? Because we're saying to him, I believe you, God, and I trust you. As I'm giving to you, as I'm giving to you, I believe you, and I what? Trust you. He loves that. Now listen, this doesn't mean that God doesn't love the one who gives grudgingly or reluctantly or the one who doesn't give at all, but that he approves the one who, listen, who, is, who delights to give. He or she prefers, listen, listen, when he or she gives, gives with a, with, a, with a cheerful heart, that's what God prefers. He prefers a cheerful giver. Now if you're saved, say Amen. The heart of the giver is more important. We know this, right? More important to God than the gift of the giver. So I say this. Don't give from the top of your purse or your wallet. Give from the bottom of your heart. Give willingly and, and cheerfully. Write this down. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10. Deuteronomy 15, verse 10. 
It says, give generously, and this is what it says, and do so without a what? A grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord, as you give generously without a grudging heart, because of this, the Lord will bless you. How many want to be blessed by God? The Lord will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. God is more interested in what's in your heart than what's in your hand. And I said last week, I said this, friends, he sees the heart gift, not the hand gift. Got that? He sees the heart gift, not the hand gift. So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? Here we go. Attitude is everything. Everyone say that. Attitude is, is everything. It is not how much you and I give, but how we give. How we give. God doesn't look at the quantity of the gift, but the quality of the giver, the heart. In other words, friends, listen now, what is more important than the amount is what? It's the attitude. It's all about attitude when it comes to giving. Every Christian who chooses, listen now, to carry through with his or her consecrated gift to God should give cheerfully. We ought to give cheerfully. Hasn't he blessed you? Doesn't he love you? We should give cheerfully to him. Someone once said this, God knows and appraises our hearts and he values only those gifts that come from a free, cheerful expression of the deepest parts of our souls. Love that. Verse 8, if you're still with me, say amen. And God is able. Who is able? In other words, there's nothing too hard for God. And Paul writes that God is able, and God is able, let's read on, to make all, I want you to understand this, listen now, able to make all, say all, grace abound to you so that in all, say all, things, and at all, say all, times, having all, say all, that you need, you will abound in every good work. Four times he says all. Got that? So is God able? Is God good? In fact, the word grace is, is a synonym for financial resources, as he says grace here. Just as God is able to make the sowing of the seed abound to a great harvest, so God is able to bless our giving. As you sow, you will reap much more. And Paul's point is this. Everything you need, God will provide for you. You need, you need to provide for you. It's, it's just now Paul calls it grace. Say grace. As you give, as you give, and you give with the right attitude, God will provide for you. And you see, this is the issue here. The common worry in our lives, okay, the common worry we face when thinking about giving, the first thing we think about at times is when we give is this, will there be enough for me? Let's be honest, some of us struggle with the worry, okay? If I give, and when I give, will there be enough for me? And the answer is absolutely yes. Yes, God will provide for you. Don't worry about it. Just give it to God, and God will take care of you. And many times we're reluctant to give because we're worried about, is there going to be enough for me? He'll meet your needs. Look at verse 9, because in verse 9, here Paul quotes Psalm 112, 9. Write that down, Psalm 112, verse 9. And what he does, he quotes that to fortify the thought of the previous verse that I just read to you to show that God blesses the person who is faithful in giving. Then he says this, here we go, as it is written, here he quotes Psalm 112, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures 
What? Forever. So it's a description of a person who is generous, uh, a description of a person giving to others, and God blesses his or her life. You ready for the lesson? Here's the lesson. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. Got it? We are blessed so we can be a blessing to others. God wants, listen now, God wants us as believers to be channels of blessing, not reservoirs of blessings. Got it? It's got to run through us and flow through us, not just sit there. God has blessed you, and I'm sure he has, but he's blessed you not just sit there and keep the blessing. He's blessed you so you can bless others. He's blessed you so you can bless his kingdom. Right? You are blessed to bless others. We ought to have that fresh within our minds. Verses 10 and 11, stay with me. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will always supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, God, Paul's saying God not only supplies the seed, but he also multiplies it. Verse 11, you will be made rich or enriched. I like that word enriched in every way so that you can be generous. Did you guys get that? So you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to who? To God. Thanksgiving to God. Paul's saying God's going to bless you, right? He's going to bless you, shower his blessings upon you that you have showered on others. And that's the principle Jesus gave, right? Give, it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be what? Measured to you. You're safe, say amen. Listen, if you want spiritual enrichment from your giving, you must practice enjoyment and be glad for opportunities to give. And just as you learn to pray by what? By praying. That's how you learn to pray. You learn to pray by, by praying, so you will learn to give by what? Giving. You must practice giving. It's a good thing. Practice giving. This is 12 through 14. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. I love that. Of thanks to who? God. Verse 13, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise who? God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generous gen generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Verse 14, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace. There's that word again, grace, surpassing grace God has given you. So Paul is simply saying this. He's simply saying, you guys give to God by giving to one another. And the giver is strengthened, the recipient is helped, and God is glorified. That's it right there. The giver is strengthened, the recipient is helped, and God is glorified. That's how you sum up verses 12 through 14. And you see, church, God enriches us, right? We enrich others, and God receives the thanksgiving, and God receives the what? Glory. All because of the, of the what? The surpassing 
grace he has given you and I. So what giving does, listen now, what giving does is it stimulates praise and thanksgiving and glory to God. That's what it does. And that, my friends, ought to be, listen, be reason enough to give. In other words, this is it. I'm going to give. I'm going to give and bless others. I'm going to give to God's body, to the, to the ministry. I'm going to give because I want to, listen now, praise God and give thanksgiving to him, and I want to glorify him. That's it. Right? And as believers, we should want to praise him. We should want to give thanksgiving to him. We should want to give him the glory and the honor and the praise, right? When you give, that's what you do. So what Paul, Paul, it was, if we look back at what we just studied so far, Paul began with the what monetary gift by the Corinthians, right? And so what he does, he boasts about their past enthusiasm to collect an offering for the saints at Jerusalem. Then he, what he does, he urges them to what? Complete the task. For he's sending some men to receive the offering, those Titus and those two other men who were Unnamed. And then he reminds them, he reminds us, all believers, of the principle of sowing and reaping. And then he shows them, shows us that there's a wrong way to give, remember that? And a right way to give, that there's a wrong attitude, and there's a right attitude when we give. And then Paul tells them, tells us, of the rewards of sowing properly. The giver will be blessed by God, and the giver will be blessed by the recipients. And as God enriches them, us, we enrich others, and God receives the thanksgiving and glory and praise. Someone say amen. Now what Paul does, notice what Paul does. Now what Paul does is he, he shifts our attention away from the monetary gift by the Corinthians. Now, to which brings us to the second point, is the magnificent gift. From the monetary gift to the magnificent gift, the magnificent gift by the Father. So Paul shifts from human gifts to God's gift. You got that? He shifts from human gifts to God's gift. He closes this section with a shout of praise and shout of thanksgiving. Verse 15, listen, listen now what he says. Thanks be to God. Someone please say amen, praise God, something, right? Thanks be to God for his what? indescribable or unspeakable gift. So who's the indescribable? Who's the unspeakable gift? It's Jesus Christ. The greatest gift ever. And the giver is God, the greatest giver. Got that? And I want to tell you something. This is the foundation for everything Paul has said in the previous chapter and in this chapter. This is it. This is the foundation for chapters 8 and 9. And he reflects on the greatest giver that there has ever been. And he does this to bring to our attention, listen, friends, our attention not only to the greatest giver, God, but to the greatest gift that has ever been given by God the Father, the gift of his Son, Jesus Christ. The gift is Jesus. The greatest gift, the giver is God, the greatest giver. Got it? Greatest gift, greatest giver. 
And you see, what I love about this and what Paul's driving at is this. God didn't just talk about giving. He just didn't talk about it. God shows his love by giving. Why? Because giving, got to get this, giving is the language of love. And it is the language of love as seen by God in Seen by God, the first gift giver in John 3.16. And we all know that by heart, right? And sometimes we can read this verse and, and quote it and really not understand the depth of what it means. But here we see the language of love. As seen by God, the first gift giver ever. John 3.16, right? For God, say for God, so what? Love the world that he gave his one only begotten, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have ever in life. So let's break that down. For God, say for God, that's the source of love. For God, so love the world. That's the scope of love. So you have for God, the source of love, so loved the world, the scope of love, that he what? Gave his only Begotten Son. That's the sacrifice of love. So you have the source of love, God. So love the world, the scope of love, that he gave his only begotten Son. That's the sacrifice of love, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the security of love. Got it? The source, scope, sacrifice, security. God gave his Son. His only son, out of his love for the world. That's the language of love. He gave, he gave. Didn't just say it, okay? He, he gave. So follow me here. The father gave his son. Let's put this into context here, right? Into the message. The father gave his son. He, he, God the father, God purposed in his heart to do it. He gave his son. Okay, he didn't give his son for us. Grudgingly or reluctantly, nobody twisted his arm to do it. God the Father gave his son willingly and cheerfully. You see how that all ties together? And I believe, I believe Paul's point is that God showered us with the ultimate gift, his son, because God has been so generous to us giving of a son so generous to us, it should flow from us as well. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. If God, and he is generous, we ought to be generous as well. Let's stand up. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. We thank you for all that you said to us. And I know, Lord, there's just so much to, to know and to learn, and, and I trust that we've learned some great truths today regarding giving. And, Lord, I pray that we would be generous at heart, that we would follow your example. Thank you, Lord, for giving of yourself, of your son to us, the language of love. 
And that we as believers will be known as givers. People of generosity. We thank you, we praise you, we glorify you in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen, amen. You can praise him, come on, praise him.